Hello, Goat Gabbers! It's a new week, and Cameron and I are taking our gloves off again. So join us as we have more inspiring conversation about the 2021 National Show and other things with our gloves off. Welcome back, Goat Gabbers. Who is ready for another day of taking the gloves off and and talking about some hard-hitting issues with Laura and Cameron? Yeah, it's Laura, and I'm ready. Let's jump in. Um, this is going to be a good just, one. Yes, it is. Lots of news from the Adga side to talk about. Uh, lots of hard-hitting topics as well. And lo- and some stuff personally going on on my farm. Laura, I don't know about yours. No, we're not. It's still slow here. It's slow and gray. Um, you know, watching the girls get fatter and, and uh, you know, telling them to think pink and, and all that. Did some milking machine maintenance. Uh working on my breeding list for this fall and uh, uh, thinking about selling, selling one of our herd sires. So that's always, you know, that's always a, a consideration because you hate to see them go, but yet you also think, Hmm, I have semen and how long is it? So that could be a good topic for a future podcast. Yeah, I think it is. And I think we've got a guest already lined up and what the guest said, and I quote, I think this is really calling to me. This thing is this, this talking about the breeding or uh, talking about selling bucks and breeding plans and whatnot is calling to me. So oh, good. Get excited, That'll be fine. Get, get excited to, for that there. Um, I want milking. Oh, I wanted to ask Laura before we got into my farm here, milking machine maintenance. What did you do? So I have a Hager system that um i bought used and i absolutely love it because it's really a low maintenance it's a low maintenance system so um so every year before kidding season starts and then usually about halfway through um i follow their suggested maintenance which is taking the whole thing apart replacing gaskets um um oiling the i think they're called fins in the motor um just making sure everything is clean and, and up to date with it and ready to go. So um, it's gotten me through, I think five or six years now and just doesn't need much. So um, I try to get that done every year before kidding season starts. Uh, I know one of the things that you want to talk about is, is at what point do you pull that milking machine out? So I'll let you, (laughs) I'll let you bring that up and then talk about that a little bit more. Well, yeah, yeah, I think it's, you know, we're milking two right now, transitioning to what's happening on my farm, and it's not terrible. Like, I'm thinking, I could probably milk two by hand all year round and kind of enjoy it, you know? Oh, yeah, and, I I love that. And it's not, it's not bad, I mean, it, it, and it doesn't take very long either, and we're probably getting, like, you know, uh, a full bucket, like a full one of those like standard size milk buckets full every milking for those two. So they're producing very well. Um, but the question becomes that how many does are you, do you milk by hand is, do you get out the milk machine? Yeah. So <laughs> for me, it's kind of changed as I've gotten older, maybe, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I remember, I remember when um, I worked um, at Patty Dean's. And I think that that year, I think we decided once we started and it was Patty and I milking together. Once we decide, once we started milking more than 10, like 10 total, then we gotcha. went ahead and got the machine out. Um, for me at home, it comes down to, is it, if I spend more time cleaning up the milking machine, 
than what I do um, <laughs> milking by hand, it's not worth pulling the machine out. Um, yeah. I really like that morning time of, of um, milking and, you know, the warm body against my head as I'm milking and, and it's kind of my relaxed time. Uh, but when it gets to be that my hands are aching and um, it just takes too long, that's when I break it out. What do you guys do? Um, generally we say like six, like that's kind of our thing here. We can milk our setup. We're very, I'm very thankful for the setup that we have where we can milk eight at a time. We bring out eight in a group and they all eat and get fat and sassy. Um, and, and, and we milk them. So we say about six or eight, once that group is full, I know we have a group of like 12 or 13. That's going to kid here over the next, um, maybe like 10 days or so by the time this podcast is released. So, um, that would be the time to get the milk machine out because at that point in time, there are a lot of goats to milk. Right. Yeah. I think that makes sense. So yes, we will probably have to do some, some, some um, ma- uh, milking machine maintenance here uh, sometime next week. So, you know, one of the things that, that I like about that Hager system, um, I have, I have kind of two setups with it. One, they have like, it's like a belly pail, but it doesn't have milk lines. So you just sit it right underneath the goats and it milks right into the pail. So when I'm done milking, oh. I just take that pail up to the house, can stick it in the dishwasher and it's done. I don't have to worry about wow. taking hot water out to my barn because I don't have water out there and and running water through the milk lines and stuff like that. It's awesome. Um, however, to milk more than three or four goats that's when i bring out the one that'll milk two at a time and that does have milk lines and i have to have to spend a little bit more time cleaning it up but it it is a nice little system so i would i would highly recommend it the the guys that run that company have been really responsive and helpful to me when i've had questions or problems and um so yeah it's a good good little system if you're looking for something like that Yes, uh, unfortunately, if, uh, no, I, I've never worked with Hager very more, but I've worked with some other ones and they have been less than responsive. So thankfully, you have at least have some positive experiences there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, also on my farm here, um, I've got Cameron and the coughs and we had this weird thing happen. So we lost one of our Alpine Buck kids that was born from our lap AI. I'm not super happy about it, honestly. Um because you you work hard and you think of these breedings, and then you go and you do you, you take the money to do a lap AI and you want it to be fruitful. Um, and then when you lose one and you, I kind of, not to say I was sad, but I was kind of, as the kids would say, in my feels about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because it, it, it sucks. Oh, yeah. Um, but it was weird because this other one, we had this other butt kid too. He wouldn't eat properly. It was the strangest thing. He would he would suck down a little bit of a milk, and then he'd start coughing, and then he'd suck down more milk, and then he'd cough. It was the weirdest thing. So this is maybe a dumb question. Did you like yeah. open up his head, his mouth, like, and really look up at his palate? No, I didn't. So it, it, some people ask me if it was like a cleft palate or something like that. Is that what you're thinking? Exactly. Yeah, because like with human babies. Um, sometimes it's not noticeable because it's an incomplete cleft palate and it's way up in the back. And so what you're describing reminds me of what I see in human babies. Um, you know, they'll, they'll take a bottle or they'll, they'll breastfeed and then 
really kind of get gaggy coffee and you discover that that it's an incomplete cleft up there but it's still allowing milk to go down the wrong way see that's what i kind of i kind of thought and and i really didn't i i didn't get in there really good i'll be first to admit that but the weird part about it is it was about three days after they were born that we that he started doing this he didn't do this right away so he was completely normal super happy bouncing bouncing a happy baby um inside the house he would take milk normally and whatnot we brought him outside um like we always do with our kids and and try to transition him to the pan um and that didn't work apparently and so he's that's when he started coughing when we started using the bottle back on him again so it was it's the weird like i i I honestly laura i thought it was a cleft palate i was like this has got to be a cleft palate but then you know when you have three days of normalcy like that you're like it can't be a cleft palate so did he make it or did you lose oh yeah so he is he was always happy like he like a tail wagon lots of energy whatever um yeah so he's still around he's still kicking he's a lot better now um he kind of came out of it i don't know if he just learned to deal with it or or what but um he came around and he's still eating uh we feed him with a bottle instead of from the pan now and and we all kind of hate it but you know i i want to see this kid live and partially because of the lap ai but also because of the fact that he's sold already so I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's just weird. It's just very weird, but yeah, he's a lot better now, but it just, it had me perplexed. And I talked to my veterinarian, which is my fiance, and she had no clue what to do. That's really interesting. I mean, I guess I, I would still take a look at it though, you know, because yeah. like human babies, even with a complete cleft, they can still bottle feed or breastfeed if you can make enough of a seal with either the nipple and there's a special type of nipple you can use on a bottle or with the mom's breast that covers, that allows for suction to be made. I don't know. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. You'll have to, you'll have to let me know how that turns out. Yeah. You think you see it all. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. You think you, think you see it all and then this happens and you're like, what the heck? Uh, totally. <laughs> that's, uh, that's what makes goats fun. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. And frustrating. Yes. <laughs> um, but on that line there, I was talking to my dad. I'm like, I think I want to tube him. And my dad's like, I've been doing this for 30 years and we, we've never even tubed a single goat. I was like, oh my God. So naturally we had no tubing things whatsoever. So I got on the internet and I bought some tubes. Along with that, I also bought some Valentine's Day presents. So men out there, if your significant other likes goats, get them what they really want. A premier one heat lamp, not flowers, not chocolate. You know, be thinking about what they what they really want. Because I know my significant other wanted a premier one heat lamp. So what makes those heat lamps so amazing? Because you're the second person that has told me, oh, I think those premier one heat lamps are great. Um, it's all it's all the rave for the kids. No, um, it it uh, it doesn't get super hot. Unlike the other heat lamps we have, it has a nice cage to protect it if it gets knocked over. So, you know, you know, kids, they like to play with things they see. So it's in a nice sure. cage and away from it there. And it's got just a, a nice protective kind of coating on it. I, I, you know, I was like, I was very skeptical when we bought our first one last year. Um, 
and and now I'm transitioning our entire fleet of uh, our fleet of uh, uh, heat lamps to Premier Ones. Well, very cool. I'll have to check those out. And yes, I agree. Get them what they want. What's <laughs> romantic to one may not be to another, but for a goat person, absolutely. Think about yeah. what gets them in the heart. Yes. So yes. So I, I went and bought two of those. One for one for Catherine. One for my dad there for the farm um and then we're having some <coughs> preliminary discussions before we talk to stanton about some repo work we want done um obviously this doe needs to kid this year first before we think about that but um already making some discussions for some stuff that we have in the plans for fall oh very fun so yeah that's that's it and then trying to think about what we want to do if we want to do you know et work or ivf work and then where do we get the the um the donors for that essentially and whatnot and you know Catherine's kind of volunteered her goats because we're just trying to think 2022 we obviously will be moving in 2022 to a new farm and we're like do we really want a lot of babies around that we have to manage and keep and, and we're just trying to figure out our lives and whatnot and we get married and so just really trying to think, and and I might have suggested to Catherine, can we just use your goats for as donors? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, you know, I would compensate you for them and whatnot. So, yeah. Well, you know, and and gosh, in a way, that's kind of a that's kind of a cool thought because you get the opportunity of seeing them fresh, especially if they're like dry yearlings, and and you see them fresh, but you don't have to deal with the kids. But then also you lose the genetic progress. So there's pros and cons both ways, but I don't think there's a bad answer there at all. I yeah. think it's kind of a cool idea. Especially with 15 dry yearlings that she has. If anybody needs a oh. talk dry yearling, you just let me know. Oh my gosh. That's that's like a, a recip herd in the making. That's wonderful. Sure. Let's just go with that. <laughs> <laughs> Look at it in a positive way. Yes, but also on, on the farm, we've been talking about the Nationals, and I'm sure you have as well, so let's just delve into it. That's what I was just going to say, thinking about planning. Oh my gosh, what a lot to take in uh, with the National Show Rules that were released this week. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think uh, I have the rules actually pulled up in a document here, The just the straight rules. Um, I think we should just Go through them one by one if we see fit. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. That sounds like First, a good idea. Part one, no spectators allowed. Only the exhibitors and their designated family members, such hired workers, will be allowed. Exhibitors will not be allowed to bring in any additional people beyond what is necessary to care for and show their animals. Necessary is defined as members of the immediate family or members showing a herd unit plus one additional person specifically to help their herd per 10 animals enter. Yeah. <gasps> Oof. Yeah, that's that's a bit to take in. I mean, and it's also understandable, you know, when I think about other places that limit the number of visitors, you know, and, and limit essential versus non-essential people. Makes sense to me. So, yeah, unfortunate. So, I mean, yes. one of the things, and, and I'm sure you probably do the same thing, Cameron. One of the things that I tell people that are you know, newish into dairy goats and especially that really want to advance their breeding program or their herd, the best thing that you can do for yourself is to go to a national show. Whether or not you show, you should go to a national show to at least get the experience and see the animals and and work on it. And so um, when 
when that's limited, you know, I guess if you want to go to a national show, enter a couple of goats. Yeah. I think the no spectators allowed thing will, like you said, it's going to hurt those people that just want to go and check it out and just see what's happening there. You're going to miss a lot of the interaction you have with people that don't have goats, but might be in the area. If you're in Tennessee, Kentucky, maybe Southern Ohio, maybe Southern Indiana, you know, just see it, interact with breeders, look at the goats in the pen. And, and honestly, it, I, I feel bad for them. I get, I understand the rules and I'm going to say this year, I understand the rules and, and I'm thankful that the national show committee put these in place no matter what your bias is they are trying to look after the health of us as exhibitors for sure yes so I, yes. I, I'm, I'm gonna say that right now and that's my one overarching theme um yet i i may be critical of some of these things as well because i i don't like the rules I, i'll personally i don't like the rules i understand the rules though um, and I'm going to abide by those rules if I choose to go. It's probably not an if, it's a when I go. So, Well, you know, I guess in the way I look at it is I want to sh- I, I show it a national show. So, yeah. you know, if they tell me that I have to dye my hair green and shave half my head, I'd probably do that. <laughs> um, well, you know, I mean, just yeah. I, I feel like that the show committee, I can't imagine the hours and the research and the work that they've put into this to come up with this. So, um, you know, like you, even though maybe I'm not happy about all of the rules in there, I appreciate the hard work that they did and am thankful that they did that. And having said that, you know, I, I am hopeful that by the time that July runs around, things will have opened up and maybe be a lot easier and, and maybe some of these rules can be relaxed. Yes, I, I agree with that as well. And that and it does say that in the rules as well and as we go down and whatnot here. Uh, one thing to keep in mind, and this is what my dad always taught me, is if you want to if you want to be if you want to compete on the national level, you have to make sacrifices here. And this is a sacrifice that some breeders are willing to make is to follow these rules um, if, if they want to compete on the national level. But, and you also have to make sacrifices for time. Um, obviously monetary resource, monetary resources as well here. And, and just, and just the stress of it all as well. Cause you know, a national show is not, is not a walk in the park. No, it's hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things though, that I, that I really love about national shows is not only getting to watch my breed show. Cause well, Frankly, you don't get to watch your breed show. <laughs> no. What? What, are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but watching other breeds show and uh, that second rule, no seating will be offered around the ring due to difficulty of sanitizing bleachers and other seating around the ring, which I totally get. Yeah. No seating will be offered. Um, aisles are widened. The show ring has been expanded to allow f- more room for large classes. The holding area needs to be contained and only handlers allowed in there and the area for Steve Pope photography needed to be greatly expanded to allow for proper social distancing. Um, so only exhibitors of the breed showing in the ring could be spectate or can be present at ringside. They must be in show whites and masked and no larger groups than five. No spectator chairs will be allowed along ringside and exhibitors and spectators cannot block animals going to or from the show ring or photo booth. Exhibitors in the holding area are allowed to have helpers and can bring whatever containers necessary to hold show equipment. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yes, it will. And I think, and and thinking about it from our perspective, (coughs) excuse me, Um, thinking about it from our perspective is, 
you know, we're going to maybe have three to maybe a fourth breed there between myself, my dad, myself, and my dad, and then Catherine's herd between Alpine Sables and Toggenbergs and maybe throwing a grade or two. And Alpines are considered a big breed. And while well, Sables, Toggenbergs, and, and recorded grades are considered smaller breeds just by the sheer numbers we look at when it comes to the national show. So we may have to double up depending what the schedule is and show breeds at the same time. Oh, yuck. Yeah, and it's scary. It was going to happen in Nebraska in 2020 where Alpines and Sables were shown on the same day. It happened in 2014. So, But but we don't know because there's going to be a completely different schedule than normal. And, and we'll get there in the rules here. Um, and But thinking about that completely different schedule, they're going to be throwing out milk checks this year as well. Milk checks will not be conducted. How do you feel about that, Cameron? Uh, I think it's a rule that... that you know, could have went away for uh, a long time. Um, I understand the ability to compete on a level playing field. However, this is the Adga National Show. Um, the Adga National Show, um, you, if you're there, you should understand how to utter your goats and make sure they're they're there to the fullest. You should have done the research by now. I think we're going to have an episode when we get closer to the Nationals about National Show prep work, what you need yes. to do beforehand and i think that's on the calendar there at some point in the future and we'll talk about that a little bit here on, on uttering your does and whatnot and strategies that we've used in the past to try to get the most successful animals put the most successful animals out there in front of the judges but also from a judging side the judges know i mean they've been selected by the members should know when a doe is over uttered and they shouldn't be afraid to ask an exhibitor, whether it's Joe Blow Schmo from the backwoods of West Virginia or if, or if they're a nationally renowned breeder from California. They shouldn't be afraid to ask. You need to relieve your animal out. Right. I agree with that. And um, I'm kind of wondering if this won't set a precedent for future shows. Yeah, I, I think it, I'm, I'm kind of hoping it will. Um, but who knows? You know, as somebody who has done milk checks in, in the past, um, I did La Mancha's um, when we were in Columbus. I had never had an opportunity to do milk checks before. Um, my experience with milk checks way back when, when I had goats before, um, and you might remember this, Cameron, you milked your goats out and you stood in a big, long line with all of your milked out goats yep. and you brought your goats to the checkers and they had a list and they checked you off. Yep. Um, you know, now you go pin to pin. That would be a social tra That would be a, a tracing nightmare. Yep. If somebody came up with COVID during the show, trying yep. to figure out who you'd seen and, and there's no way to do it without getting up close and personal with people. Cause you have to check their tattoos. So yep. that I, I totally applaud the show committee for saying this is something that can be done away with. Yep. For sure. Uh, next thing here, wine and cheese will not be held. Um, you know, okay. That was kind of the last bit of camaraderie you have at the national show, drinking wine and, eating fancy cheeses and whatnot. So I'm okay with that in this year, as long as it's not banished forever. You know, I, 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 don't, right. mind, I don't mind setting a precedent for no milk checks, but I would hate to see the precedent set that we don't offer a wine and cheese event. Yeah. That's what, that's one of the kind of take a deep breath and enjoy the fun. Yes, it is. That, that is a super fun event there. And the next one is that Colorama sale. Um, I'm glad to see that it's not going to be done away with and that they have yes. a plan for it an hour after the completion of the show on Thursday, 
I'm wondering though, um, and we'll get to early release in a little bit, I know, but uh, I wonder how that's going to affect the Colorama sale. TBD. I'm on the committee for that. I cannot divulge the information we are working on, but we are working on something to try to figure it out. Myself, my dad, Catherine, and lots of our friends are here, including Sarah Cohen Wahlberg, who we've had on it the show before. So um, TBD, just wait until all of it's figured out because it's being dealt with in committee. Okay. Sounds good. I trust them. Trust you guys. All right. So masks are to re- required to be worn by each individual 24 hours a day during the entire length of the Ag National Show. The Kentucky Healthy at Work policies for venues and events halls dictate that they must be worn while inside the facility, uh, state of art facility, and that will strictly be enforced. Any person who cannot wear a mask for any reason should not attend the 2021 National Show. Med- no medical exemptions will be offered. Masks must be correctly worn covering nose and mouth and appropriate. Inappropriate masks are not will not be allowed in the show ring. Uh, let's see here. Um, I think that's the rest of it's just some disclaimers and whatnot. No face shields. Right, no face shields, and and you know if you've been on social media, this has probably brought the most discussion about um, yes. masks twenty four hours a day. If you sleep in the barn, you're going to wear a mask. Um, you know, anybody over the age of two is supposed to wear a mask. And, and, you know, I, I get all the arguments that people make for, you know, that's not a good thing. This is a good thing. Um, I have a medical exemption. You're telling me that I'm discriminated against coming to the show. I don't think anybody is trying to discriminate against anybody, whether it's because you have small children, whether it's because you want to sleep in the barn and you think it's awful to sleep with a mask on or, if you have a medical exemption, I am sorry if wearing a mask is hard. And I know it is. I wear one all the time at work. Matter of fact, most of the time I wear two masks when I'm at work. Um, having said that, though, it sounds to me like this is Kentucky's rules. This is not something that Adga just willy nilly made up. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that there. But I, I do think, though, at some point these might these could get relaxed. At some point, and and that's just me predicting. That's me not not knowing information or, or being privy to information that was not released to the public at all. I think if if we can, if we might continue on this trajectory that we currently are, it these could be relaxed potentially. I'm not I'm not saying that I know information that's not publicly available because I don't. I'm just saying that it it could be relaxed. I think that's a I think that's a good thing to say, Cameron, because. Uh... You know, let's face it, things have been changed so much. And and I think that's one of the things that has come out of this COVID pandemic is things change all the time and change very rapidly. So hopefully things might get relaxed, but I don't know about you. I'd rather know what the worst is going to be. So, you know, that way I can decide, can I, can I do this? Is this doable for me? Okay. If things get relaxed, relaxed, that's even better, but at least I plan for the hardest part. And thinking about that too, it really allows you to allocate resources if you want to go to the national show and think about it here, releasing them in, in now in February and thinking, okay, I have four months to start budgeting my money more because national shows aren't cheap. And also um, th- getting a hotel lined up. I know me and Catherine have already started looking at places for us to stay outside the facilities because we're not going to want to sleep there. Um, so 
knowing all of that, it allows you to kind of get your ducks in a row or your bucks in a row. No bucks are shown to the national show, but um, get your stuff in a row for for the national show right now if you choose to go to it. For sure. And, and uh, you know, maybe some of the other changes that we're going to mention coming down the road, you know, maybe for there a shorter amount of time, you can allocate that those funds towards a hotel room if you don't want to sleep in the barn. Or maybe you'll decide that sleeping in the barn for three nights isn't, isn't a bad thing. I'm really eager to see when the national show schedule is going to be released because yes. I think that'll make a big difference for folks too. But um, bit by bit, it's too early for that to be released. It's It's very unusual for it to be released this early so i have um, a, i have a theory about that when we talk about it too a, a theory okay and, and it might be a tinfoil hat moment but um, <laughs> um well, next thing here go ahead that's fine well i was just yeah. gonna say you know pen decorations i don't, i think that's pretty standard for every yeah. year isn't it super standard there um they super don't standard. you know they don't want you to put up drapes that are going to like give you a little enclosed tent in there yes. um you know that's it's a, it can be a fire hazard and it's i think those are the rules that they've had other years so yes. that doesn't seem to be anything crazy the next like next set of rules um online entries those are pretty standard signage and announcements those are all pretty standard um the no fans rule i've seen that come up via facebook as well there um people saying no fans are allowed um, I think that facility being there a couple times gets cold, especially at night. Um, so I, I can see it. Uh, I can see other people why they would complain though. Yeah. I've in the, the two years that I've shown there, I don't ever remember it being hot enough for fans. I mean, it usually you do want a sweatshirt, especially in the evenings. It's, it's yeah. cool. So I don't think that'll be a problem, honestly. Yep. And then the last um, rule here for part one was be the restrooms, no porta potties. <laughs> That's the first time I'd seen that, but must have had a problem with it at one point. Uh, okay, so that begs the question that came up in my household: Do people really have porta potties in their pins and use it? Because again, nobody has had curtains high enough to give you much privacy i just that kind of blows my mind maybe, maybe for little toddlers maybe maybe that's maybe that's what they've done you know the old five gallon bucket and plop your kid on top of it thing i don't know but th that made me laugh <laughs> i'm thinking some of the facilities i've shown goats at don't have high enough curtains for yeah no not at all so so yeah, I don't know, but uh, obviously it's a rule for a reason, and probably somebody tried to break it. <laughs> okay, let's move on beyond that. All right, part two here, COVID-19 monitoring and surveillance. So uh, the first thing here is temporary checks will be monitored at the following places. Uh, let's see here, vet check of everybody here. Um, let's see, arrival of all exhibitors at vet check before COVID-19. Uh, staff, volunteers, and judges daily. That doesn't say exhibitors. Huh? Oh, no, 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 next one here. All exhibitors on a daily basis. And then it outlines the protocol, which I'm not going to read through because it is quite long. Um, and it sounds like, and it looks like they're going to be doing a wristband system and whatnot there. You know, as I read through all of this, it didn't, I didn't read anything that I thought sounded outrageous. I, I mean, I really didn't. Um, it makes sense to test your temperature every day if you're in a crowd of people in a in a new place where, you know, let's face it, when you're under stress in a national show, as you mentioned earlier, is a stressful time. 
um, that can cause a flare up of all kinds of illnesses. So I don't, I don't think anything that, that has been proposed as far as uh, temperature monitoring for exhibitors is outrageous. I think it makes all kinds of sense. Yes. The, the one thing I have a question about is if someone would have a temperature over a hundred point four and mm-hmm. say, I am the only one that brought goats there in my family who would take care of my animals because I can't, enter the building because of the any individuals with a temperature of 100.4 will be directed to leave the building immediately and cannot return until evaluated by a physician er or urgent care center and cleared of covid19 risk i don't yeah i think that's that's one of those things that's going to have to be discussed yeah, I think that's a that's a big thing there. I would hate to be, you know, maybe I only bring seven goats, which for me is a few. Um, but if I'm the only one there taking care of them, you know, who do I call my friends? And hopefully my friends are nice enough to say, yeah, I'll feed and water your animals. But I don't want to put milking on my friends. I like my friends more than that. You know, Cameron, I guess in my head, what I'm thinking is goat people are pretty amazing. And I have seen goat people do a lot of things that I wouldn't be comfortable asking them to do just because it's the right thing to do. So I am sure that you would have somebody who would step up and do that. Um, but it is something to be, you know, to think about. And maybe that's, maybe that's part of your preparation before you go to a national show is, is have a buddy. You can, you can say, Hey, look, if something should happen to me, can I trust you to take care of my animals? Yep. For sure. For sure. There. So they're going to collect um, cell phone numbers yes. and send out a text every day asking these questions. Um, do you have any new symptoms that have come up? Or yes, I have symptoms, but they're not new and they're not associated with COVID. Um, and they're going to ask you to answer that every day. So uh, I pity the person who's going to have to send those texts out. Hopefully it's a, a program, like a text yeah. caster type thing, but um you know, they're going to ask you to, to do that every day. So that's a good thing. Yeah, for sure. On that there, <clears throat> excuse me here. Um, let's see here. Edgar's going to, uh, use the staff to monitor doors and you have the wristbands and then there'll be hand sanitizer of stations and whatnot as well there. So, um, let's see here. Arrival and vet check. So that's when we're going to fill out our waivers there for being there and we're going to go there. Nothing really out of the ordinary there. Just specific no. rules there. Um, herd it looks like they're going to use social distancing for herd check-in. You know, yes. not if you've done that before at a national show, it's always usually a big cluster of people. And so it sounds like they're, they've got a good way to do that. And, and maybe this will be a new thing to get you through quicker. So, yeah. um, you know, you want to make sure that as you're unloading your animals and everything, you've got, got things uh, managed in a way that you can do it quickly and efficiently. Cause uh, I know in years past, there have been trailers left in a spot for two and three hours while mm-hmm. people meander and unload a few things and settle some animals and maybe milk and then do some other things. They're not going to let you do that anymore. You got to get moving. Yes. Um, herd check-in. Well, they'll go over that there. That's just the, again, very standard with COVID procedure there. Um, and then, but one thing here is to say that exhibitors must indicate on their entry form if they plan to stay in the barn overnight, how many in their group will be staying. That's different. And that's never been required before. Right. And my question becomes, what if, 
you know, I want to stay in the night, the night, stay in the barn the night before I show, like I generally do, just to be close to my animals, monitor things, et cetera, et cetera, there. But then the rest of the time, I don't want to stay in the barn, obviously, because, you know, maybe I'm not crazy about wearing a mask 24 7. Well, that's exactly what my family's going to do. You know, and I've got, I've got adult daughters and we usually switch off staying with the animals, you know, a couple of people. So um, I'm hoping they'll give a little more guidance on that. But, you know, our thought was each night, two people will stay in the barn and two people will stay, um, you know, at the hotel and we'll kind of switch out. So maybe we can just put two and go from there. But I don't know. I don't know how that'll work with the wristband. So um, I I bet they'll have some more clarification. Interesting. Okay, so I think we should get to part five, and then we should let our listeners do their due diligence after that, because I don't think there's a lot. There, there are some things to unpack after part five, but just for time uh, right. purposes here. Yeah, so uh, release from the show, and I think this is where it gets interesting, is is you can re- you can indicate on your form that you have the option to utilize early release. If not indicated Which is on the a- form... Yes. And that's a huge, that's a huge deviation from what has ever been allowed at a national show. You're exactly right. Uh, But again, I would, I would argue and say this to exhibitors is even if you don't want to leave early, utilize that option and check that early release just so it is on the table. um, So you have it on there. That would be my suggestion. But as I've read this, if you say that you are interested in that early release, you're going to be pinned in an area not close to the show ring. So, um, you know, you're, you're, you're going, let's see, let me find the exact thing. Anyway, it just read to me like that you're, you're not going to be closer to the show ring. You're going to be farther out. So it's not so disturbing to the breeds that are showing and the people that are pulling animals in and out. So I think it's something you need to, to look back and forth on, but I, I think that's a smart suggestion. Cameron is if you think there's a possibility you want to leave early, go ahead and put that on there. I, it, I yeah. didn't read anywhere that they're going to penalize you if you decide not to. Yes. This is my, this is my theory here. And you're going to be like, Oh, this is not a terrible idea. Cause I pitched it to my dad and to Catherine. They both thought it was great ideas. They're going to front load the beginning of the show at the nationals. And again, I have no information whatsoever this is strictly a hypothesis they're going to front load with bigger breeds at the beginning of the national show so nigerians will show like sunday and monday just to get the most amount of people that want to leave out of the facility and then maybe nubians after that and maybe nubians after that and then you know thinking about how they can you know have less people there because we all know nigerians are going to be the biggest breed but if they're out if you're pulling in on saturday and you're leaving monday and tuesday you know, that's pretty attractive to some readers. Agreed. Agreed. And you're not the first person I've heard that has said, oh, I bet the Nigerians will go first. Yes. It, yes. And that's kind of my plan. And then that's kind of what I'm thinking there and thinking how they can front load the show so they can get as many people out of there that are interested in leaving out of there. If I wasn't on a national show committee, I would be super interested in this option. Um, because I would be like, okay, this is less vacation time. I have to take off. This is less time for me, um, being away from a facility, paying for a hotel room or Airbnb, you know, I would be all about this. I agree. And, and again, maybe this is another one of those things that down the road, um, it's going to work out so well that this becomes a standard part of our national show. Yep. Maybe. I, I, 
I agree, I agree on that there. But it, and it goes back to some conversations that Laura and I had about this. You lose throughout some of these rules some of the allurement, allurement, the grandiose, the prompt or the the procedure and and um, pomp, not pompousness, but some of the the mystique that is the national show with some of these rules. For sure. Yeah. Yes. And, and, you know, it, it's not, and I tell people this all the time, it's not going to be a typical national show experience, no conquering by the ring. So you're not going to see hundreds of people, not hundreds of people, but tens of people, you know, hanging out by the national show when a national champion is selected, you're not going to see that anymore. Instead, they'll probably be back with their pens on a laptop. Um, you're not going to have you know the ringside chats with people just watching the show because of that. Um, even being in the show ring is going to be different. You're not going to be able to hold cards and get and pick up your ribbons and really display that right there for the world to see. There are three things that, that have come to my mind as I've digested this over the past few yep. days. First of all, um, I'm just so stinking thankful that we're going to get to have a national show. Agreed. So, you know, regardless of how it's going to be different and so forth, Yay to Aga for uh, putting this forward and for coming up with a way that we can make this happen. The second is, um, you know, let's assume good intent. Nobody's trying to mess anybody over or, um, you know, be elitist or uh, discriminatory. The fact of the matter is we are still in a pandemic and people are still dying from COVID. Whether or not you're personally scared about it, that's okay. Um, but it is a pandemic and we are in a pandemic situation. So we have to plan and, and make things different for that reason. And the third thing that I'm going to say, um, again, on social media, I've seen people making comments uh, that, well, with as many people as aren't going to be there, is it going to be a real national show? I mean, the competition won't be there. You know, what's the what's going to be the joy in winning if it's just a tiny national show? I think that is the wrong attitude to have about it. Um, well, you know, there have been small national shows on either coast and people don't belittle those champions. So come on guys, let's have some grace and, and just be excited for whoever wins. You're exactly right there. I was just, I was just thinking, you brought that up. I was like, yeah, you know, it is, if there's only 35 and I'll pick on my sables here, if there's only 35 sables that show up to a national show, but they're still a national champion. You know, the chair is still the same. The ribbons are the same size. You know, you still are on the back of a shirt, no matter, no matter how many goats were there or not, you know, it, it, you're, you're a national champion. And that's something that, that will never be taken away from you. You'll be etched in the stone of Adga records. So whether it's COVID or it's on, or it's in Alaska, you know, um, you, a national champion is a national champion. That's right. Don't take anything away for it. They showed up, you know? So that's, you know, I, I just think again, let's give grace and, and glory and honor to everybody and, and keep going on that. So yes. One last thought on that there. And, and I've said it to Catherine. I said it to my dad uh, before is um, to, you have to be there to play the game. You have to be there to play the game. Last when my dad was rather upset, we didn't make the trip out to Redmond in 19. I kept reminding him, Hey, we have to be there to play the game. Instead, he chose to go to Vegas, but, um, uh, um, you have and play to games be there. Yeah. He played some games there. Yes. But, um, you have to be there to play the game. 
I think that's a good way to end that topic. Yes, let's talk about, we kind of took some gloves off on the Edgar News, but let's talk about our topic, our taboo topics, part two. And we're going to delve right into it here. Um, and I think we should just stay on that national show line and national show politics and politics at shows and whatnot there. Laura, let's let's discuss. Let's okay, let's jump in. So I think that uh there's all kinds of rumors about politics and how they work into national shows and and uh you know, I think probably in any type of li- livestock there's a little bit of politics that go in or at least there's some perception of that. Um I've heard people say you know, the national champions are already picked before they even go into a national show ring. Have you heard that before? Uh, no. I, yes, I have. I have heard that. Uh, but I will say, I, I did judge a goat show at one point, and And I was a rather young judge at the time. And I, I judged a goat, and, I, and my dad texted me and asked me what I thought of it. I said, yeah, it's pretty nice. I don't think she'll ever be national champion, though. And what do you know? I ate my words, and... <laughs> that goat was national champion. Uh, granted, I was like 20, 21 at the time and, you know, pretty young. So I, I, you know, I didn't know. I just didn't think that that goat would be national champion. Turns out she was. So, you know, um, I, to me, the national show, again, you have to be there to play the game, like I mentioned earlier. Um, so saying that, you know, the national champions picked before the goats even enter the facility, that's wrong. Because I know there have been herds that haven't showed up at the Nationals, even though they might have, you know, paid entries, flat tires or, or travel issues or whatnot, or they just choose just chose not to come. Right. And, you know, I, I think one of the reasons why maybe people who haven't been to a national show um, think that is it's not unusual to see the same uh, farm names or herd names year after year that show up with those national champions. And so then I think the perception is, well, they've bought somebody off or it's in the bag. When really what, what the whole deal is, is they've put their time in, they've bred the beautiful quality animals for a long time. And uh, yeah, they're going to win because their animals are worthy of winning. Yeah, you're exactly right there. And and yes, there are some points you can argue and whatnot between between does and, and everything there. But at the end of the day, um, I set things up very nicely because they they rotate judges every year. And there's a there's a consultant and there is a um, what's the word? real judge the, or the primary uh, judge or primary judge and the consultant. So you have two different opinions there. Um, and maybe at one point we need to have a national show judge on former national show judge on to kind of talk about that a little bit. Hmm. If only I knew where one was. <laughs> but, I think that's uh, a great idea. Ooh, that'd be great. Um, but I, I, I think it, it boils down to the fact is um, the, the, the primary and the consultant judge, they have opinions and they they share their opinions and obviously it's the primary judge's job, but the consultant is there to help guide them as well. Um, so having two different minds there and they don't always have to agree on everything, but they should be able to get their complete, get there to some extent. So, and I think that, the other thing too, right. And, and then I think also, you know, these national show judges with the exception of one judge are selected by the membership. Yep. So, um, you know, your, your vote does count in some years, 
there's not a lot of people that vote for that. So, you know, if you, if you want to make sure that the people that are judging are the people that you want, get your, get your votes in, in a timely manner and, and make sure that you have a voice in that. So it's yeah. not like some obscure committee is choosing all these judges um, and they can pay them off. You know, it doesn't, yes. it doesn't work that way. Yes. Also, you have to understand that the dairy goat world is a very small, small world, very small world. And you know, if, if, Catherine Taylor walks in with an Alpine. She's probably showing for Kickapoo Valley Dairy Goats because she is engaged to Cameron Jadlowski. So everybody kind of knows everybody in this world. And you know, if Cameron Jadlowski walks into the ring with a with the Toggenberg, he's probably showing for Taylor Witch Farms because that's just the world we live in here and, and we're obviously together. So everybody kind of knows everybody and everybody knows everyone's business to some extent. Not really everyone's business, but but you know what I'm saying there. Oh, absolutely. And this dovetails into just politics in local shows in general. Yes. You know, um, because it is a small world and because there are some of us who've done it for a long time and some of us who haven't, if you show goats over the years, you're probably going to show to a good number of judges and you're probably going to show more than once to those judges. So then those judges know, Oh, uh, so-and-so has this style of Alpine. And as an exhibitor, you learn this certain judge really appreciates the style of animal that I breed. So I'm going to show under that judge and that judge is going to say, Oh, Cameron always has, you know, nice animals. Our judges are human. And so they may give a second look to somebody that they know typically has nice animals. That doesn't mean that they're biased towards them or that they're, they're playing politics. It's just human nature. It's, um, it's a lot of psychology. And you think about it, us humans, we tend to gravitate towards things that we're familiar with, whether it's goats and they meet our style or whether it's people that, that we've seen do well at the show. So there's a, there's kind of a, a subconscious level to judging. And this is me just saying from experience here that if I know, you know, if I know someone, I might give them another look compared to other people uh, that I might not know, because that's just my unconscious bias there. Um, it doesn't mean that I'm always putting them up. I'm putting them where I, I think they need to be, but it doesn't mean I won't give them a second look. Right. And as an exhibitor, um, after I find out that a judge does not appreciate the type of animal that I have, believe me, I won't show under that judge again. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> there's a story about that. I have a story and I wasn't at the show. Yeah. You might've been And this doe we had was fourth place in one ring and then was best in show in the other ring, fourth place in the class and then best in show in the other ring. So that other judge obviously didn't appreciate us that put her forth. So knowing that information, we, we were choosing to never show under that judge again. Right. And I don't know about you, Cameron, but I have a no show list. So yeah. um, I have judges on this list that when I see that they are judging a show, um, I won't show under them. You know, I may show yes. in every other ring, but it's, it is painful and it. Frankly, it just, it makes me angry enough that I don't need to pay to have that type of stress when I know that when I walk in the ring, that judge is not going to like my animals. Yep. You're, you're um, exactly right there. You're exactly right. And, and, you know, I have a no travel list, if that makes sense. Like I'm not going to travel like over, I'm not going to drive to Sedalia, Missouri to go show under X judge because I know my animals don't do well, you know? 
Right. And that's honestly, that's just knowing your animals. It's not playing politics. It's just knowing what this judge prefers. And I I think one thing um, with showing dairy goats, and, and we talked about this a little bit when we had Anna on talking about judging, um, listen to the reasons. Because a judge that is, if a judge were just playing politics, their reasons are going to have a hard time matching the placings that they've made. You Keeps exactly, you honest. You're you're exactly right there, and I hope when we talk about judging national shows and whatnot, we can get said guest on that I might live with, because um, he has some really interesting stories as well when it comes to judging national shows and thinking about playing. You know, people cry politics and all the time, but when you put it and line it up with the scorecard, it makes perfect sense. And if you're really listening, and I don't think enough people, and myself included, I am not great at this. Um, really listen to the reasons there of what of what judges say because um, you know sometimes you miss something as an exhibitor and you're like okay I kind of understand that now or okay now I'm understanding what this lustrous hair thing is or something like that so right and I so for me I I really pay attention to reasons um and sometimes in my mind I call bullshit sorry I'm just Oh, you know, yeah. Um, oh. I'm like, oh, come on. You totally missed that. You totally said that wrong. That is wrong. Yep. But I also know because I have been a judge in the past, there are times where in your head, you know, and you're placing that class, you've got it all worked out perfectly. You know what you want to say. Um, when you stand there and give your last glance on, on that lineup to say, okay, have I, have I missed something? Is there something glaring that is going to be hard to justify? And then you pick up that mic and you start talking. Sometimes you, you get a little bit mixed up. I mean, it, it just, yeah. it's hard. It's hard to give reasons on a big, long class like that. And remember every little thing. So, um, yes. you know, have a little grace when you listen to those judges, but you know, definitely if you listen to them, you are going to learn because a judge, as you said, may see something that you never saw in that animal before. And if you're at the back of the class and, and maybe, you know, you're kind of upset about that. Listen to why the other animals are ahead of you too. That might give you a sense of idea as well. Um, that might, might be like, okay, well that makes sense to me and whatnot. And look at the other animals in the ring too. And that might help you say, okay, there's not a lot of bias there. It's just that these animals are better than us. And this is exactly why. For sure. Now, speaking of politics, how do you think politics do or don't fit into linear appraisal? Whew, that's a tough one there. Uh, as, as we know, the program is supposed to be unbiased. Um, it's supposed to be on the same scale. Um, I, I do think there are herds across the nation. Um, and you know what, you know, some herds might've benefited, benefited from this. Some have it that, um, generally tend to score higher because, you know, of the animals that they bring out and because of the name, I, I, I do think that, and you know, we, we may have been impacted by that. We may have not, I, you know, I, I just, I, I'll lay it out there. I, I think you're right. I mean, I think, <laughs> but again, is that because. Um, when that appraiser goes to that herd, they know the reputation that this herd has and they know, um, they know that, you know, this herd for many years has had very top animals and, and so they're going to give them a, another look. Um, you know, I would argue yeah. though, Cameron, as a, as a nobody breeder, um, oh, Laura, you're not I've had some animals. Well, uh, uh, 
come on <laughs> i've had We've some animals this before yeah well i've had some animals that have had very respectable scores that i felt were scored very uh very fairly and um I'm proud of the scores that they got and I'm not, you know, I don't win at national shows and, and I'm not a, 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 you know, my herd's not a well-known herd. So um, I don't feel like that in order to get those top scores, you have to be somebody in the goat world. I agree. Um, And regardless of, of, you know, when you look at the scores at the end of the day, because that's one of the things that I have had people complain about. Look at this goat. This goat got a 92. And my goat that got an 89 has beaten this goat in the show ring every single time. And I just don't have the name. You're going to hear that kind of stuff all the time. Yep. But again, remember, it's for collecting data. And so I would still say that regardless of that final score, you're getting information about your herd that is so important. Um, you know, you need to look at that aspect of it too. But, you know, and there are sometimes I go to British websites and I'm scrolling down their list and, and I'm thinking, how did this go to praise 93? And, and you know, I have, I have that same thing too. But also you have to remember that showing and linear appraisal are not the same. And I think we've talked about that. Uh, the differences before they're, they're not the same. Um, additionally, um, you know, some things, and I think it might be a lot, a little bit of the psyche as well there in the psychology, uh, behind the linear appraiser. And I'm not a linear appraiser, so I can't say this at all. I, or I don't know if it's a fact or not, but you tend to, when you judge or when you score animals or, or judge anything, you tend to create kind of a sliding scale, um, when it comes to evaluating things and you kind of rank them in, the setting they're in, if that makes sense. Or I, I can give an example here where I judge speech and debate. And I tend to judge speech and debate by the quality of animals that are, or quality of kids that I see in the round. Or I can say, oh, okay, this kid was exceptionally better, but the rest of them, you know, when I have to rating them one through 10, tend to be, you know, closer to a six. When really in other rounds, they might be a four, but because of the quality of the rounds, they're probably at around a six level. Does that make sense? Oh, for sure. Yes. Yeah. And so if you have a herd of animals that is maybe a a starting out herd that hasn't progressed along the continuum to where they want to get, you know, maybe they're just, they're just getting started. Um, an animal in that herd that is an outstanding animal would not maybe be outstanding in somebody else's herd that is farther along that continuum. And so their, their score may reflect that. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a whole psychology behind that too, that sometimes we forget about. But I don't, I don't think that there's ever, and maybe I'm naive. I don't think that there's, there's a blatant trying to be political. I don't think no. that an oh, appraiser goes into a herd and says, okay, I'm going to give out seven ninety twos today, even if, because I know the person. Because right. Or this person's a director or this person's a judge or this person wins at national shows. So I'm going to give them all the top scores. Or I know that I'm a, I'm a, I'm an appraiser and I next week or two weeks, three weeks, I'm going to show under them. This is a hypothetical situation. It probably doesn't happen. I'm going to go show under them. So I know I need to give them good scores so they can, you know, scratch my back in the show ring. 
Yeah, I just, you know, I, I've heard people say that this happens in the horse show world or in other in other species and so forth. I just don't see it happening with goats. And again, maybe I am naive, but leave me in my little world of Pollyanna because I don't want to believe that that happens. You and your Pollyanna and Don Missouri. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> For sure. All right. What about, and one thing you mentioned, unethical fitting practices so when i was growing up there were always rumors about such and such breeder oh they know how to set teats on their goats so their so their udder looks better or well this breeder knows how to make a medial suspensory ligament appear in into their animal so you know they can place higher or things with gluing hair or um uh, filling up udders with saline and all of these unethical things. Do you think those happen, Cameron? I would like to say no, but also I know how competitive the world is. Um, so, so you know, the the 99% of me says no, the unethical fitting practices don't happen. But I know somewhere there's 1% somewhere that, that say it, there, there are some unethical things. Um, and I think about some of the things that I've done in the past where maybe I have it, it's a two day show and I never milked out my goat completely because I knew she wanted to make milk for the next day and knew she needed to rear her to pop a little bit there. So I didn't, I didn't milk her out all the way, or maybe I didn't um, milk them out. Maybe I milked them out at like 1 PM, you know, after they were shown and then didn't, you know, just taped them right away and whatnot um, instead of doing that. So I know, you know, Again, ethical is a sliding scale. It's a word that is is however you interpret it there. Um, Catherine's laughing at me for saying a sliding scale, but it is kind of a sliding scale in my mind. Um, so I don't know those things that you mentioned are unethical. I mean, there's nothing illegal about doing that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it could be I, I, argued that it's not maybe not in the best interest of the goat to do that too. But yet you've done this long enough. You know what makes your animal look look good so you know i don't uh, know that that's what, unethical. A, what about like using sh like uh, shoe polish on on animals to get through a vet check or something like that i, I would say that's, that's, a, that's a glove that's a gloves off can of worms there yeah you mean like to cover up ringworm or a skin anomaly yeah um, i've seen you know, it or Yep. Or a real life That's scenario gonna... that happened. Yeah. That happened to me is, and this is thinking about vet check, taking an animal that wasn't tattooed off the premises, tattooing them, then bringing them back. Oh, you know? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I was, I was there. That was awkward. To me, those, those are things that are kind of against the rules. You know, yeah. why do we have a vet check? It's to hopefully uh, keep sick animals from making other animals sick. So if you bring in a sick animal, you're harming other people. Yep. If you're injecting saline into an animal's udder to filling them up, you're doing something that's fake and yep. is not, I mean, that's, come on, man, that's not the goat. That's, that's saline in the udder. Um, this goat doesn't have a good forward or you've just filled it up with, with excess fluid. So it looks good. That's not, that's unethical. Yeah. What about, and let's, let's talk, I'll, I'll throw this idea out there is say you have a, a Kublanc goat, a Kublanc, which I, I love Kublanc Alpines and they have white trim around the, the rear rudder and you use a little white shoe polish 
to make that rear udder arch pop. Is that unethical? Or make it look a different than it might be to manipulate the judge's eye. Is that unethical? Uh... Or is that just knowing your goat and knowing what it is to be ready? I think there's a there's a there's a fine line between unethical fitting practices and knowing your goat. And Catherine is just like shaking her head at me right now. So in so I, I don't I don't know. I can't answer that yeah. necessarily. Because part of me is thinking Kublanc, that yeah. that's an, an acceptable color in the Alpine breed. Um so that really isn't changing that color. It's uh-huh. not like if you had a um a sonin that had a three inch black spot on its side and you're taking yeah. white shoe polish to cover that up. That's, that's a breed defect. That's, that's, that's a breed defect. Yes, that is um, that is unethical to me. You know, um uh Joan Vandergriff, so who had the beautiful Haute Caprine herd of yeah. La Mancha's back in the 80s and 90s um, used to tell a story about a doe that she had that was a really ugly color kind of a creamish tannish yucky color and that they would die they dyed her hair and she showed much better after they used human hair color on her to huh. change her color you know what they say blondes have more fun Right. It, it, <laughs> I don't think in this case she did. Um, I don't know that I would be comfortable doing something that extensive. I don't know that that's unethical. I, I think I think there's a ba- there's a balance between knowing what your goat needs to get into the ring and look its best versus borderline animal, not animal abuse, but is it really correct to do this in the show ring and really portray your animal in the wrong light? Right. You know, just like blackening a lighter, a light tan belly on a dark chamois goat, you know, if they have that light tan belly, sometimes they look uh, shallow. So um, is it right to change something that's a genetic part of this animal? I, I don't know, man, that gets, that gets into that, that how much are you, how much are you comfortable with? I I just don't know. Well, Catherine just said something about manipulating a shallow a shallow belly with what? With feeding. I mean, you can manipulate a shallow a shallow belly with feeding, as well. Thinking about it, you know, maybe doing like a beet pulp water mixture there, or um, yeah. we we get we give milk. You know, think about it there. We can create artificial body capacity that might not be there because we fill their bellies full of milk and. I, but again, I, that might go back to just knowing how to prepare your animal at the show. Right. But that's not, that's not changing something that's a genetic. Oh, it is. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> I don't the, know. I think you just have the to glo- decide. Gloves are off. Yeah. The gloves are off. But this, this is something that we, it's a, it's a hard thing to think about. So let's talk about something else hard. And you know what, Cameron, honestly, I think we're going to have to end today with shows and not get into the other things that we're going to talk about. Probably maybe a part so three. There's, there's a lot here. We might have to. Um, one of our listeners asked us if we would talk about the ethics of, or I don't know if ethics is the right word, but showing junior kids or showing dry does that receive their dry leg, should you go ahead and continue showing them after they've gotten their dry leg? So I, I, 
I have many things to say about this. First off, it's your prerogative as the breeder of said animal to do that. Um, you, you, you go to a four ring show, you pay for all four rings and you know, you pay maybe, you know, $8 to enter per ring. That's 32 bucks. You want to get that 32 bucks back, whether you're winning grand champion or not. And, but to me that, that to some breeders that really irks them. That oh, really gosh. upsets them. Get hateful. Hateful yeah, it, it does get hateful. But to my response to that is if you don't like it, breed a better goat. And 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 that's gonna that might upset some people. My gloves are off saying, you know what, if you if you don't like getting beat by that by the same goat, work to do better in your own breeding program so you can achieve that and, and maybe go and, and beat that animal in the future. Well, and and you know, I think it also comes down to a discussion. So I've had two thoughts. I used to pull dry does every time they get their dry leg. Because honestly, I hope that I can get a dry leg on another doe of mine. Yeah. And I've also been that young adult or that 4-H'er who had one milking doe and one dry doe. And so if you tell me that I have to pull that dry doe after she gets her dry leg, I don't have a dry doe to show the next the rest of the year. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's, that's kind of, that's not fair to that kid. And I, I really have come to the, to the uh, realization of what you just said. Um, if I decide that I'm going to pull a junior doe, okay, I'll pull a junior doe, but don't shame me into it. Because if you do want a better animal breed, I mean, if, if you want a dry leg breed, a better animal, um, I'll be glad to help you do that. (laughs) But um, sales up. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, don't, don't shame somebody for wanting to get a judge's opinion on your animal. Just, just like what you just said, they've paid for it and it's fine. Um, you know, that that's, we're all, we're all out there to learn and to have fun and to show. And so, uh, I, I just feel pretty strongly that nobody should shame somebody else for wanting to show a dry, a dry, a doe with her dry leg. Um, if there should be no shaming at all. No. And if we pull all those kids that get their dry legs in those May and June shows, by the time July and August come, we're getting dry legs on does that should never, that aren't the same quality as the ones that won at the beginning of the year. Yep. You're watering down the quality of the animals being shown. And really it, it stinks coming from a judge's perspective when you maybe walk through the barn at the end of the show, only at the end, unless you have to walk through the barn to get to the show ring at the end of the show. And you're saying like, where was this goat? And they're like, Oh, they pulled. That's really disappointing to see because when I go into the show, I want to see the best goats possible. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, yeah. It's just no, no shaming guys. Come on. They're dry does. And we all know, we all know that there's always a um, a possibility that that dry leg is the kiss of death anyway for that dry dough. Yeah. <laughs> as far yeah. as freshening goes, haha. I, sorry, I agree I there. But here. one thing, one thing to consider here, and this is my opinion. In Illinois, we have a series of payback shows that we enter that are county fairs and whatnot, and the gloves come off at that. I don't care if they are a. a have their junior leg or not they're going out there because i want i want to be first place because i want that x dollars in premium and to me that's not being selfish that's knowing how to play the game 
Oh, totally agree. And, you know, uh, state fair, so we don't have payback shows around in Missouri, but we do have state, the state fair does pay a little bit. Same thing. You know, if, if, if I will pull one of my own junior does that have gotten a leg for it because I want somebody else to get a leg, um, that won't be at the state fair. All, all gates are off. You know, they, they're all out there because I want every possibility to get, you know, the highest premiums that I possibly can. Um, and honestly, that kind of leads into the next thing on our list is about showing permanent champions yep. in the regular class. Um, I, I do have one thing to say on that, though. Showing, oh, okay. showing kids, but you're like, one, one last thing. Um, if you do have, say, I think of my example a couple of years ago where I had six senior kids. So if I get a, a leg on, on one of them, they might not come back out again until a bigger show because I have another one or a different one I want to show not only to get the experience from, but to also potentially get a leg on as well. So they might stay at home. Like I think about my kid that was best junior Dolan show at the Indiana state fair. Her first show wasn't until like August because one, she was psycho two because I had other kids in the pen that were, that were better in our minds, including her twins or her triple sister which was better. Um, so we had other kids in the pen that we thought were better that we wanted to take out before her. So if there is, you know, if you have more than two options to get a premium on, you know, you might want to consider rotating those kids in and out just to get experience. For sure. I agree with that too. All right, let's continue on permanent champions in the regular class. So um, I, my uh, gloves off opinion at a regular show, a club show, don't do it. Just put them in. Put them in the champion challenge class. Um, okay. Question but though, if it's a specialty, okay. or if it's a state fair, or if it's a premium show, all, all gloves are off. Put them where you want to put them. That's what I think. Make that make that money. Um, but the question I have is. So say, let's just say, for example, and this is going to be a totally hypothetical scenario here, that that Elizabeth Warren, your daughter, lovely lady, um, is judging the national show. And she's mm-hmm. judging at Sedalia for some reason. Um, would you want to take your does and put them in the regular class instead of champion challenge so, the, how, so they show how they stack up against other animals in the ring? in the same age division to kind of plant that seed in the mind of the national show judge that this animal is going to be waiting for them at this age group. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I, would, I would want to do that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, it's, it's a crazy hypothetical, but, it, but think about it. It's, it's true. You know, if I have a goat that I think can do very well at nationals, you know, and, and she's finished already, but I still want to plant that seed in that mind because maybe in that group of, of does in, in the champion challenge class, maybe there's a two-year-old, maybe my does a four-year-old, maybe there's a five-year-old, maybe there's a seven-year-old, but in, and you know, when you judge and this is the judge's mentality is, um, when you, when you put that animal in the age division, it's easier to sort it in there. But when you get in the champion challenge, you know, there's no way I'm remembering that there was a, that there was this lovely four-year-old unless she was outstanding. You know what I'm saying? For sure. Yeah, I can totally see that. And so I'll tell a little story. Um, you know, there weren't very many shows last year, so, uh, I had the joy of doing a little bit more traveling than what I have done in the past to hit some shows. And um, 
I had a doe that finished her championship as a two-year-old back in 2019. So she was three last year and a very respectable three-year-old. She's, she's one of my favorite does, just a real pretty little, just a nice little tidy package, basically. Um, we took her up to a show in Iowa where there were some big heavy hitters that were showing up at this show and um, put her in champion challenge. And I think there were maybe 11 or 12 goats in that champion challenge class. Looking back on it, she probably would have done better had we put her in the three-year-old class just because, you know, as a three-year-old, she was one of the youngest does in that challenge class. Um, yeah. Cause you don't, around here anyway, you don't finish a lot of Alpines as a two-year-old. And, um, you know, had I given a little bit more thought, I would have given some thought to the fact that this doe would have been shown to her better advantage in her own age class. Does that make sense? Totally. Totally makes sense at all. And, and you know, it, there is this, this balance here, and I, I don't think there is a right answer. And maybe if it's, my only goat and we go back to that 4 h and it's my only goat and I don't want to show her the champion challenge because you know when I go to a goat show I, I want to win you know that's why we go to goat shows is to go collect ribbons essentially to some extent and for fun and for friends but also we like the competition so I want to be as competitive as possible with my doe and maybe that involves putting her in the regular class even though she is finished I agree and and you know again I think it comes down to assume good intent if somebody is putting a finished champion in their age class, they probably had a reason why they wanted to do that. Don't just assume mm-hmm. it's to be a jerk or to keep you from getting a leg. Um, you know, you could say the same thing again. Um, if you, if you want to beat that animal, breed a better animal. So yes. I don't know. I think, I think it, it comes down to the champion challenge class is nice. It still gives, gives us a chance to show animals that um, really are outstanding and beautiful and still in their prime um, and letting, uh, and letting other animals get a, a champion leg because they're not finished. But it could also be argued that the champion challenge class cheapens the permanent championship too. I agree wholeheartedly there. And we, and this has been a shift we've seen in, in my mind ever since I've started being involved in goats is we've really cheapened the value of becoming a permanent champion by being so fixated on it as, as a registry, as show goat owners. Um, so we've been, you know, milking out goats for, for just to make numbers of, of sanction. And I'm guilty of that too, or we've been milking out permanent champion does and not uttering them the day of. And I, I do this too. Um, and I, I'll admit I'm not part of the solution. Probably to this problem is of, of milking out does that are permanent champions. So they don't beat other does as well. Um, so, so we've really, as this, and this is a totally take on mine is we've potentially cheapened the way we see permanent champions because they haven't been going up against 10, utter does that are a full spring and bloom right and and i don't know karen that that whole thing of milking out does to try to um encourage the judge to pick the animal that i wanted them to pick when i was judging that was just kind of starting to come into favor and frankly it really pissed me off Cause I thought, do you really think that I can't look at an animal that maybe is only carrying eight hours of milk 
or carrying no milk and seeing this is a superior animal over this yep. garbage goat that you're wanting me to put champion because it doesn't have a leg. <laughs> I, sorry, gloves yeah. off there, but no, oh, you no. make me mad. So I don't know if that cheeses off other judges or not but oh it used to make me mad and and sometimes i would yes. find any reason not to do what i was being directed to do what i don't like to do what i don't like is when i see a goat in the other show ring because you know I, I you know you're at the table it's at the middle of the ring you you peer over there it's human nature we're curious plus my adhd doesn't help either and i see it and i'm like i can't wait to see that goat in my ring and then they pull her because she just finished her championship, or it was a breed specialty or something. Like, i.e., when I judged him in, in the Northwest with my dad, and he was judging the Toggenberg specialty. So I'm watching him see all of these beautiful Toggenbergs gallivanting around the ring. Well, I get like 11 togs in my ring because of the fact that the specialty wasn't in my ring. And, and it, it kind of irked me because I wanted to see those togs. Oh, yeah. it would It would bother me too. You know... And I guess then it comes down to the question, are we showing, do we show goats because we want the leg, because we want the CH in front of the animal's name? Are we showing goats because we value somebody else's opinion on our breeding program and are looking for a second, a second set of eyes to say what we need to improve on? Or are we showing goats um, hopefully to encourage people to maybe purchase from our herd or whatever there's all kinds of reasons behind why we do it but you know i oh i hate it when they i it just really bothers me when people do the whole oh i'm gonna milk my goat out because we need 10 goats in here but i sure hope the judge doesn't pick it even though i know it's the best animal out there but i've but i'm just as guilty i will say i am just as guilty at that as well and that's me being honest about it maybe at these payback shows where where we have eight animals in milk and two of them are dry and they're all in, in my herd name or something like that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty and I will be the first one to admit that. Or maybe there's 10 sables, which there's not a lot of 10 sables anywhere, but maybe there's 10 sables at the show. And you know, my dote needed one leg to win permanent champion, but there's still three other rings they got to show in. So I'll go quickly milk it out. Cause you know, I want to finish or get legs on other goats of mine as well. So, um, you know, and and then sometimes the judges pick different goats than what you think, just despite you. Right. And, and I also have to say my not liking that is an elitist thing because, you know, face it, it's very rare that Alpines have a hard time having good numbers or at least in the Midwest. So, yes, you know, I don't, I'm not showing a breed that has issues of making numbers. Um, so I, I'm sure that if that gets into it. So I don't want to sound all high and mighty and, and say never do it. I understand why it's done. I just don't like it. And I didn't yeah, like I it would, as a judge. I would agree as well, especially when you travel across the country to judge a show and you're expecting to see um, X herd, X herd, X herd. And, and then they don't bring out their best because you want to see their best when you judge. I mean, it, oh, it, yes. sucks. it sucks to go and see, you know, the, you know, they're maybe bringing out their B string and you're like, okay, this is their B string. But I saw X goat on their website last year. I really wanted to see that goat. Right. Yes. That's one of the treats of being a judge. Yes, it is there. Also one thing, one thing here to consider is, and I'm going to throw another hypothetical scenario. I am the king of hypotheticals today. Um, the show, say you have a doe that has a permanent champion, but I also go to shows where, 
I show against, and I'm going to specifically throw these names out because they're no, they're no slouches here. Randy Adamson from the Mar and Herd. Uh, I show against Craig Copeman from Pleasant Grove. I show against Kara Call from, from, um, from Minnesota. I mean, these are no slouch, big name breeders in the Alpine world and the purebred French Alpine world. And I go and I bring my goats. I try to bring my best there, but I might show a three-year-old that's already finished in the regular class just to gauge where my goat is against their best goats as well. What are your thoughts on that? Do it. I agree. I agree. I agree with that. So it's just, it's a gauging thing to see how they compare against them when you, even if they are permanent champion does, I get it. Sometimes, you know, you miss a leg on a goat or whatever. Um, but also you want to go to a goat show to see how you compare against the best. When I, when I do go to those big game shows, you know, when I do go up to Wisconsin and see them, or I go down to Missouri and and people come from Missouri and whatnot, I want to compare, I want to compare against Loris Hurt. I want to compare in the stables against Patty Black's Hurt. You know, I want to see where my goats are compared to their best. So if I involves putting them in the regular class and they're already finished, I might do that. Yes. And I think, you know, for me, the bottom line is breeders should feel okay doing that without feeling like they're being shamed. Um, you know, I, I think the whole, the whole dilemma of the permanent champions and champion challenge class, me as a breeder, you know, sometimes I might do it and sometimes I might not, I should have the freedom to do that. But I worry more about offending people and, and people being mad because I've done that. Um, and I don't, I don't think that's right. I think we ought to give everybody the, the, freedom to make their own decision and go go forward without feeling like you're going to be lynched afterwards i agree goes back to my whole theory of not really theory it's a fact is if you don't like it breed a better goat right if you don't like it breed a better goat i agree with that exactly i think the last one we want to touch on here is showing animals under the judge who bred them yeah so um i'm not gonna i'm not gonna give a specific example of this but i have had me No, no, no. I'm not going to. (laughs) I've had people who have been upset because, um, well, so-and-so judged our state fair and somebody else bought animals from them back in March. And here it is the end of August. And, and they showed those animals under that judge. And I don't think that's right. And, um, you know, it gets, it gets people upset. And I understand that. And especially when those animals win, that could be upsetting as well. Have you had an experience with this? Um, yes, not not really from a mad, mad, mad perspective there. And I'm looking for the suggested code of ethics for exhibitors and show committees. I'm looking. I was looking for it here in the guidebook. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Anyone who has purchased within six months an animal directly from the judge should not show this animal under this same judge. Right. So, so we look, so right. And, and, and I'm glad you found that exact, exact one because this was a discussion after the fact. Um, it doesn't say will not. Yep. It does not say cannot. It yep. says shall not. And if you notice, it doesn't say anything about it being wrong for the judge to judge that because um, elsewhere in the guidebook, it talks about pecuniary interest in animals yes. or supervision over animals. Um, 
it's it's against the the exhibitor in what you just read and it's not a hard and fast rule it says that you it doesn't say that you can't do it so you know i i think it's one of those things that you just have to look at the person either they didn't know that that was a suggested it was a suggested practice that they not do it or um they knew that and they didn't care and then you need to you know think about that person accordingly um and go on everybody makes decisions that have consequences so Catherine makes an interesting point though as she's talking to me here is is one thing about this is when you sell a kid so maybe i sell a kid to you laura and maybe it's 10 days old or something like that i have no clue what that kid is gonna look like in three four months or so and maybe i sell it to you in um trying to think here maybe i sell it to you in april and and then i come and judge a missouri show in august I have no clue what that kid is going to look like, though, from a from a buyer perspective, because I don't remember. And if it if I do remember, it's going to change. It is absolutely, and and especially if it's you know years down the road, they're going to change. And um, yeah, I I just think that there's a lot of reasons why it can't be a hard and fast rule on there. Some of our judges sell lots and lots of animals. And I also think too, as an exhibitor, if you're getting mad that somebody, somebody did that exact scenario that I mentioned there and you're mad because that judge put that animal up. um, Hello. Don't you want a judge to put up the type of animal that they breed? I mean, they're going to be, they're going to have an affinity towards that style of animal just because that's what they breed at home. So doesn't it make sense that maybe that animal would place well? It's not, again, it's not politics. It's just common sense. Yeah. It's, it goes back to that psychology of, of judging and whatnot. One thing I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to stretch here a little bit is, um, so say Laura, and we've done this before this scenario here's I sell a buck to you. Um, uh-huh. also, um, at that same time, uh, you know, you wait and you freshen and you keep kids and then you show those kids under me. Um, and then say they do well under me. And then I use that as promotion for my dam or whatever, because, you know, X number of does got best in show under, you know, that there is that some type of pecuniary interest type scenario there, because I would potentially be benefiting off of my judging and i'm not saying this happens i'm just saying what if i'm putting on my tinfoil hat i'm you know you know what i'm saying i do know what you're saying i you know gosh i think a lot of it has to do with intent don't you i mean if you intentionally sold me a buck and then i said okay now cameron i'm gonna show these kids under you and you're gonna put them best in show and i'm gonna follow you around next summer and you're gonna put them best in show at every show that we go to and then i'll send pictures of those kids to you and then you can advertise that and maybe you'll get a kid out of that dam to be in the spotlight sale because people can see that's a heck of a lot more planning than what i ever would do um (laughs) You know, and and you and I are planners, and I don't think we could work yeah. something out like that. Um, I, 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 I think that was, I think that is such a stretch. And again, my gosh, the dairy goat community is such a small community. Mm-hmm. You know, if 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 a relationship, a breeding relationship, can be beneficial, um, I don't think that means that it's being illegal or unethical. I I don't know. I think, I think you just have to, to stop and look and think, 
um, are my actions going to cause somebody else to stumble into that hole of there's bad things going on here? Are they going to yep. think badly of me for doing this? If so, maybe I should think about not doing it. I, yep. I don't know. That's hard. Yeah. Those are hard. No, those are hard I, scenarios. That might require some coordinated planning efforts, but you know, I think about our my herd's uh, strategic relationship. That's not on paper or anything, but we do have a strategic relationship with Craig Copeman, and we have over the past year, couple of years, and whatnot, and or ten ten years or so, and and you know, we trade bucks and we do this and that. But then I go and judge his goats, and he generally does pretty well under me because I like his goats, and you know, he's got very very nice and competitive alpines. But I've sold him bucks and I think about, okay, what if that one was out of my buck? And, and what about, what if it could be traced back to, oh, I'm playing favoritism there? Well, I think if somebody's looking for a reason to say that, sure, it probably could be. Um, but again, there's not a lot of French Alpine breeders in the world. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's just, there's not a lot of sable breeders in the world. There's not a lot of Toggenberg breeders. We that's are just true. a small industry. So you know, I, I think if you're looking for something to be com- complaining about, you can always find something. You're exactly right there. Um, one last thing on kind of judging and shows and whatever is, is, and it's something that I've been like, whoa, what if this happens or whatever is. So obviously me and Catherine are engaged and whatnot. Yay for us. Um, but Catherine is not going to be around this summer at all to show her goats and her sister would be, and then say, hypothetically, she would take them to a show I would be judging. Obviously, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, if they're owned by the farm, not by her, I, I obviously wouldn't do it, but I, you know, it could happen. Um, I guess I wouldn't have a problem with that. Okay. I don't know. You don't take care of those animals, right? I mean, to me, that would be the question. If you are involved in the care of those animals, I would say that there could be a complaint made about that, that you would have pecuniary interest. And when I used to be on the judges committee, um, we would see some things sometimes come through about situations like that, where the judge, you know, maybe they helped milk in a dairy or um, different things like that. That could be looked at as having supervision over those animals. If you don't have supervision over those animals, I don't think there's any problem with it. One last hypothetical question here. And this is a real life example that did happen to me. Um, and I had a, someone who I had previously been in a relationship with choose to not show their animals in my ring specifically because of that, because of that relationship there. What are your thoughts on, you know, previous relationships, I guess. Um, an X is an X. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, the, the argument could be made that you could be biased against them depending on how the breakup went. I True. I think I think that you know <laughs> there was nothing legal there. If you don't have any supervision over those animals and don't have any monetary interest in those animals, then I think you're good to go. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's you know just try not to be biased against them. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I would have tried. Uh, she probably would have done pretty well too, but. <laughs> I was, peering, I was peering over in the other ring trying to see what they look like. Oh, that's funny. Because <laughs> <laughs> it does it does happen, though. You're always... You're, curiosity killed the cat. Uh, uh, killed the judge, though, yet. <laughs> dating in the world of dairy goat politics. That's that's quite fun. 
<laughs> yes, it, it is there. Uh, I think uh, anything else we want to talk about show wise here? I don't think so. I don't think we're going to be able to get to our other topics, and maybe we'll move oh, no. those into some other um, some other weeks. What are we going to talk about next week, Cameron? Um, what are we going to talk? Do we talk about what we're going to talk about next week? I, I, oh, okay. I think I think we. Oh, I have, I have a calendar. I have a calendar. Let me find it here. Um. Oh, we're going to have a guest next week. Oh, that's right. We are going to have a guest next week. Yes, we are. Uh, who the guest is, I don't know, but uh, we're going to have a guest next week. We are. And um, we've got lots and lots of fun topics coming up. But as always, we love it when you guys make suggestions of things that you'd like us to discuss. Um, you know, we, we try to keep them kind of timely into what's happening in the Dairy Goat calendar um, as far as kidding or shows or production or breeding season so um you know be thinking about questions maybe that you have coming up on your own herd management or things that you want to do with your goats or or current events or whatever and we'd love to talk about that so hit hit us up on our facebook page or um you can private message myself or cameron anytime yes one thing i will say is if you added me as a friend on facebook thank you um, unfortunately I have a, a policy that I don't accept random goat people's friend requests. If you want to connect with me, feel free to shoot me a message and I'll generally respond there, but that's just my own personal philosophy on Facebook. If you've tried to friend me. Yeah, there's Facebook, um, privacy is kind of a difficult thing to manage sometimes. So yes. um, most of the time I'll go ahead and add you. Um, and that hasn't changed yet. So we'll just kind of see how it goes, but we do yeah. want to hear from you is the main point. Yes. Yes, we do. Uh, as always, find us on uh, Apple iTunes and Spotify um, and then our website too there. Um, yeah. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. Have a great week, everyone. And we appreciate you being part of our Goat Gab community. <laughs>